So, you know, this is Black History Month and New Hope Church every year we lean into that. Later this month, uh, we're going to have here on one of our Sundays our big AfriConnect celebration. I can't wait to be a part of that. Every fall, we have our, our Latino Heritage a Month. We're excited about that. That's a wonderful thing. But let me be really clear on something. And the story embedded within the video here underscores this. Under the banner of Jesus Christ, whose blood redeems sinners from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, every day is an all-people's day for the glory of God. And New Hope Church... New Hope Church is part of that. We want to give witness to that. We want for the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what do we see in heaven? Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation gathering under the crucified lamb, giving him worship and glorifying his name together united. And I'm grateful that our church is part of that experience, part of that movement of uh, sharing the gospel the full gospel that Jesus reconciles all things and makes all things new. All right, let me uh, ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to worship you. You are so good and mighty and glorious, and we give you honor and praise. And we thank you for your only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. We honor him. He is our savior, our Lord, our friend. And we desire, God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be conformed under the very image of Christ. That's the vision of your word. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight. May we be conformed unto the image of Christ. May, be, uh, may we rather be like him through his power and for your glory so that we can bring gospel good to everyone around us. We love you, we welcome you into this place and we ask you God to speak to us now. In the name of Jesus, all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Okay, so I, I trust that in these recent weeks, you have been hearing a theme unfolding, and that is that it is time to move as disciples of Jesus. It's time for us to go. We need to be a people that are growing together, reaching out, giving all, on the move. We've been talking about that now uh, since uh, we stepped right out of the Christmas season, and uh, with that in mind, we recognize that it's necessary because the time is short, the needs are great, and there is a whole world of spiritually hungry people desperately looking for meaning in life. And there is no greater meaning than that which is found in Jesus. There is no greater purpose than that which is found in Jesus. There is no greater healing than that which is found in Jesus. No greater solace than that which is found in Jesus. Amen? And so it is our story to convey, our story to tell. And we're so thankful so thankful that we can be able to do this. We are called as God's followers, as followers of Jesus Christ, to rise up and to be about building and furthering his kingdom. We need to arise and build. Now, Nehemiah, this man whose story is embedded in the middle of the Old Testament, Nehemiah gives us wisdom for what this can look like. He helps us to understand what kind of practical values we need to bring to bear as kingdom builders. 
You may recall from last weekend, we were introduced to this man. He'd gotten word that in the great city of Jerusalem, things were dire, desperate. Division ruled. The people were disoriented. The infrastructure was in chaos. And when Nehemiah heard of this, it wrecked him. And he fell on his face, and according to uh, the scriptures, he entered into an extended season of prayer, fasting, and lament. Prayer, fasting, and lament. And as a matter of fact, last weekend when we were together, we looked carefully at that prayer of Nehemiah's in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we learned some important principles regarding the power of a praying disciple. And if you uh, have not heard that, I, I invite you, go back, listen, and, and glean from Nehemiah chapter 1, God's wisdom about prayer, particularly when things are so difficult. But then we step into chapter 2 of Nehemiah's memoirs, and we realize that now he's moved from this posture of intensive and uh, uh, enduring prayer, now it's time to act. It's time to rise up and build. It's time to move. And we spoke of this last weekend. We said that we have to remember that prayer often is an opportunity for us to then act. We need to be a people that, yes, we need to pray, but we need to have in mind the idea that God may use us to be part of the solution for the answers of the prayers we're praying. And here, Nehemiah models this beautifully. So we get into Nehemiah chapter 2, and we see him now stepping up, stepping out, on the move, and that actually sets the pace for the rest of the book of Nehemiah. And there's some things that we're going to be able to learn even today from this step out, if you will. And uh, so here's, here's the first thing that we might learn. I want you to see it up here. Here we go. Nehemiah reminds us of the power of courage shaped by prayer and God-given wisdom. If you guys would, Jeff, if you'd leave that up there for just a second, I have a question for you. How many of you need courage today? How many of you, yeah, I see some hands here. So here's the thing. We all have stuff going on in our lives for which we need courage, for which we need to, the capacity to rise up and with boldness step forward. And what we see is Nehemiah, his story reminds us from where courage can come. It is shaped by prayer and God-given wisdom. Thank you so much, Jeff. And so let's look at this here. Look with me now. Nehemiah chapter two, verses one and following. Here we go. It's kind of long, so if you'll bear with me here, okay? In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, now this is a Persian king, one of the great rulers in that era of Earth's history. When wine was brought before him, this is Nehemiah's story, right? So Nehemiah's telling this. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart, very perceptive of the king. 
He's recognizing that Nehemiah's heart is broken. By the way, we might think that's a strange exchange right there, but we have to understand in those ancient days, particularly in the Middle East, it was actually illegal to be sad in front of the king. The king is so powerful and mighty, well, surely you would enjoy being in my presence. I'm the king. That's the way people thought, and that's the way life in the court worked. And here on this day, Nehemiah shows up, and he's, his heart's broken. He's sad. The king notices. Thankfully, the king is gracious to him. Uh, then I was very much afraid. That's why it says he was afraid. Nehemiah's like, oh boy, I know I'm not allowed to be sad here, but I can't help myself. So I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Oh, he just vents. He pours it out right there in front of the king. Let's go further. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Wow. Now that's a good response. That's better than off with your head. Don't be sad, right? What are your, by the way, this is good form for us. Sometimes people come into our presence and they're sad and it bothers us. And we might not want to do off with their head, but we, we might want to dismiss them because we're uncomfortable by their emotions. And I, I actually think Artaxerxes gives us a great example here. What do you need, right? That's a good, good thoughtful example. So I notice this at the end of verse four. The quickest prayer in the Bible, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then he immediately started to speak. I can't help but think in that nanosecond of time, Nehemiah's like, all right, Lord, you're on. You got to help me. And then he just started to speak. How many of you have had a real quick prayer the past 24 hours, right? Yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord I need it now. Lord, help me now. Oh, my goodness, Lord, I need you. Okay, here we go. Verse 5, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now remember the story. Jerusalem is a wreck. Nehemiah wants to go and rebuild it. The king said to me, and the queen was sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Okay, so far so good. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time, all right? So the king sends him on. This is a great story, by the way. These eight verses are some of the most fast-paced, compelling, and a whole lot is at stake kind of stories that you'll find in the Old Testament. And there are a, a, a few things here that that stand out to me immediately that are worth our time right now. And it relates to this issue of wisdom. Here you have, uh, here you have uh, Nehemiah showing up in the king's presence, and it takes a lot of courage to do what he did. Would we all agree with that? I mean, the man might die because he's sad. But then, assuming the king gives him a pass on that, now Nehemiah has to make a case for why he'd like to leave and go back to the uh, land of his forefathers. And that might mean separation from the king and from his duties. And assuming the king is okay with that, then he's going to go on and ask the king for help. Here's what I need from you, O king. I mean, so, and, and you can look and see that that's the case when you read further in Nehemiah chapter two. So I'm reminded here 
that this courage that Nehemiah has to do all this is rooted in the prayer that he had been praying. And according to Nehemiah chapter 2, he'd been praying for over four months. Four months. That's a third of the year. Four months from the time that he heard about Jerusalem's situation to the time he stood before his ruler. How many of us are willing to pray for four days, much less four months? I'm telling you straight up, I know the rhythm that I get into. I get burdened about something, and I think, oh, I need to pray about this. And I'm really good at it for a couple days. I mean, I'm drilling in, but then it's not that I don't want to keep praying, but what happens is what? Life gets busy. I get sidetracked with other things. Other matters of prayer come to my mind. I start to to maybe lose sight of whatever it is that was motivating me in the first place because there's just simply so much else to think about. Or at least I choose to allow there to be so much else to think about. Scroll, 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 scroll. Do we know what that means, right? Right? Okay, so, so uh, here, four months in prayer, in fasting, in lament. And uh, then he goes before the king. And what is it that he might have been praying? Well, I'm telling you straight up, I think um, one of the things that he was praying was for wisdom. Lord, I don't know how to do this. How am I supposed to stand in front of this mighty monarch and make a case for what you might be calling me to do? Give me discernment. First of all, are you even calling me to do this? I sense that it has to happen. Maybe I'm the person to do it, but God, how in the world will I be released to go do this? I've got a job with one of the mightiest rulers on the planet. He depends on me. He looks to me. How am I supposed to extract myself from this? I need wisdom. And by the way, even if I can go before him about this matter, I need wisdom on how to explain what I need. All right, so you know what? I'm reminded of what James tells us in James chapter 1. Now, we spent a lot of time on this back in the fall in the book of James from our New Testament. And here's what James has to say. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, you know what? I think that Nehemiah understood this principle, even aeons earlier before James would have ever penned it on parchment. Nehemiah understood this, and I think he's calling on God, asking for wisdom. Now, you want to know how some of that wisdom plays out here in these verses I just read? Uh, well, let me, let, me, uh, <laughs> let me give you some insight on this. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's so compelling, and I want you to see with me, I want you to see with me uh, just a sense of it here. Here we go. So, Nehemiah, when he goes before the king... Um, he, he chooses, if you will, notice this with me, he, he chooses to not mention the word Jerusalem at all. He doesn't mention it. You'll notice that in the text we read. He doesn't mention it. And the reason is because Jerusalem for the Persian kings was odious. It was seen as a rebellious city. The Persian kings had for generations felt disrespected by by the people of Jerusalem. Nehemiah understood this, and so he didn't even mention the term Jerusalem. You know what he said instead? Did you notice it? Yeah, the city where my father's graves lie. 
Now that language right there, that solicits, particularly in a Middle Eastern context, that solicits a whole lot of sensitivity and respect. Oh, oh, now we're talking about family, we're talking about grief, we're talking about legacy. And that, that's a big deal, there's an honor thing about that. As a matter of fact, within the culture there, shame and honor are really big issues. And, and so the idea that the, the, the place where my father's tombs lies in ruins, that's a, that's a sign of great shame and it would really soften the heart of anybody in that culture, even the king of Persia. Now something else that, that uh, Nehemiah does that's also very wise is he didn't say, well, I'm going to go um, to the land of my fathers. He didn't make a demand in that sense. He didn't say, well, I, I just wanted you to be aware I'm putting in my two weeks notice. He didn't do that. What he said instead was, oh king, if you would send me. And with that, now the king is empowered to have ownership in this matter. The king is now empowered to, to join Nehemiah in this. And Nehemiah would go on and, and then explain to the king, here's what I need. And the king, because the king is now invited to be the one commissioning and sending and really the one, as it were, in the driver's seat, now that means the king is invested, he's interested and so then when Nehemiah says, and here's what I'd like, I need timber, I need letters to get through all the security zones between here and there, I need other letters in order to solicit um, the provisions of, of resources, the king's all in, right? So Nehemiah didn't make any demands, Nehemiah didn't try to disrespect the king by bringing up a sore spot, the city of Jerusalem. Instead, with the wisdom of God, he spoke to the king's heart and he empowered the king to be the one that would release him. And that's wisdom from God, friends. And you know what? Hear me now. God can help you with that kind of wisdom in your workplace when you're trying to have a conversation with your boss. God can help you have that kind of wisdom at your kitchen table when you're trying to figure out how to help your kid get through seventh grade. God can give you that kind of wisdom when you're trying to figure out what it looks like to see a dream that you have within come to fruition. God can give you wisdom when you're just hurting and you're trying to discern how to step forward. He can do this. He's done this. He's good at this, church. He's good at providing. And with that prayer and dependency on the wisdom of God comes courage. And it helps us to stand up. And it lifts up our heads. And I, I absolutely believe that, that with some holy confidence, Nehemiah walked into that, into that uh, chamber there where the king was. I need to tell you something. I need everybody to hear me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, now hear me church, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a realm of influence. Did you know that? You have a place that God has placed you, dropped you into. A sphere, a realm, a domain. You have a place of influence. How are you representing the Most High God in that place? What does it look like for you to stand tall and have your head up and engage it intentionally, purposefully, with meaning, with integrity, right? I want you to hear me. You have that place. Every follower of Jesus 
has that assignment. It's not just for those who have the word pastor in their name. It's for every one of us. You have a place where God says, represent me. Tell my story. But you know what? If you're like me, you need courage. You need courage in that place. God gives us courage. Let's ask him for courage. Let's get on our knees and let's plead with him, God, I need courage. I need wisdom. Give me wisdom to know how to do this well. Help me to step in with integrity. Help me to be bold. Help me to, to speak. Help me to model. Help me to live a life that, that honors Christ. And may I be, as the Apostle Paul talks about in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, may I be the aroma of Christ in this realm. And may people breathe in this Jesus because I'm present there. Okay, we can do this, not by our own power, but by his. And we need courage to be able to do it. And he, might, he so much wants to give us all that is needful for that to take effect. All right, so here's the second thing I want you to see. All right, so the next thing relates to what the people do. Okay, so the people gather in community. All right, what we're gonna see here is the power of community. People's effort reminds us of the power of community when invested folks work hard. They give all, all right? Now, so let's fast forward here. So we have, we have Nehemiah. He has been before the king. He has spoken to the king. He has shared what the king needs. Again, you can read that in the first several verses of Nehemiah chapter two. Nehemiah is released by the king. The king sends him on. So now time goes forward, some weeks, some months perhaps, and Nehemiah now uh, makes his way across the Levant, as it is called, into the uh, region of Judah, down to the city of Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, he brings together the Jewish leaders, and he hears their stories, he assesses the situation. The text tells us that in the middle of the night, he goes and he inspects the walls. I, for the life of me, don't know how he did it in the middle of the night, but nonetheless, how do you see when there's no street lamps? But that's whatever. All right, by the way, uh, real quick, when I was in North Africa in 1989, I was leading a group, uh, no, 1990, I was leading a group across uh, one of the North African countries trying to discern where inroads for the gospel might be made. We're talking to people in villages and in cities and we're listening carefully, trying to sense the spiritual climate of the people. And one night we're in this one city and our little team, there's about five of us, we all turn in and I decide to be Nehemiah. And so I step out in the middle of the night, about midnight, and I wander all around the city praying and listening and looking at things. And then somewhere about three in the morning it hit me, if I got lost or died, my team would have no idea where I went. They'd think I'd gotten raptured or something like that. And, and lo and behold, what in the world? So I went back and I thought, I'm never doing that again. All right, so uh, Nehemiah does, though. He goes out in the middle of the night, he surveys the land, and then he brings everybody together. Brings everybody together, and here's what he tells them. Nehemiah chapter two, verses 17 and 18. I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. 
And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now church, hear me. Please hear me. It is important, it really matters for the people that they would come together, rally around this cause, and make a difference in their community. Nehemiah is casting vision and the people, by God's grace, are responding. And here are some things that we learn from them. So we're not going to look at it all in detail. I would ask you to do so. Nehemiah chapter 3, read through that. It is a beautiful and simple telling of how the people rallied together and built the wall. And uh, there are some things from it that, that stand out to us, things that, that I think are, are very helpful for us here. Um, again, I'll let you read it. I would urge you to do so. Take some time with it. Uh, it's very simple. But we, we're not going to read it all here. But what I do want to do is highlight just a few simple thoughts. Uh, first of all, I want you to know that the people begin the work. They start to build the wall. They do exactly what Nehemiah envisioned. And you know what was one of the key themes? They built the wall in proximity to their respective homes. So wherever their house was around the perimeter, that's where they started to build the walls. And, and I want you to notice this with me. Look here with me. So I want you to see this idea here that they were highly invested in their work, benefiting themselves and their neighbors. You see, if I'm having to build the wall right there by my house, you bet I want to build it well because I don't want that to be the weak link in the entire wall around this city. There's an accountability thing right there for one. But the other thing is I'm looking at my home, my family, my friends, my neighbors, I have care for my neighbors, and so I want to invest in the work for the benefit of those who are around me. That is a wonderful gospel vision, by the way. Invest in the work for the, for the benefit of those around me. And so I, I'm intrigued by this. They, they gave themselves to this effort, and you see it repeated several times in Nehemiah chapter 3. Uh, you see these references to, to them building right there next to their own homes. It says something about their love for their families, their love for their neighbors, and their willingness to invest in their realm of influence. Now, another item that we see here. Now, understand, they worked hard. They worked really hard. I want you to notice this with me here, okay? God's work is hard work, friends. God's work is hard work. Counting on all the people. God's work counts on, depends on all of us. Listen, it depended on all the folks that could jump in and help. It was a long wall. I have walked the perimeter around Jerusalem of where this wall was built. I've seen the leftover remnants of this ancient wall. It was hard work. It required all hands on deck. God's work is hard work, and we need to understand this. Now, interestingly enough, I want you to see something or be aware of something else from, from Nehemiah chapter 3. This is a massive undertaking, a great construction project. Not one construction worker is mentioned. No architect is mentioned. No engineer is mentioned. 
Now, by the way, engineers and architects and construction workers really matter, my goodness. And I guarantee you they were there. I have no doubt that they were there helping out, helping to explain, now the wall needs to be this thick and only this high, and we have to use this kind of paste between the brick, or whatever it is. I, I have no doubt they were there. And by the way, if you are an engineer, if you are an architect, if you are in the construction sector, good on you, I am jealous of you. You know how to get stuff done. My uh, son-in-law is one of those kind of people. And uh, he and my daughter, Emily, they got into their home, and it was one of those homes that needed to be redone. That's why they got it, because nobody else would get it, because everybody's seeing the problem. He, being a construction contractor person, he's seeing opportunity. And they have transformed this house. It's unbelievable what they've done. And my wife keeps saying to my daughter, now, you know, honey, not every wife has that. (laughs) And I kind of look at her funny as if she's wanting to add, and I certainly don't. All right? But here's what you do see in Nehemiah chapter 3. You see perfumers. You see jewelers. You see preachers. You see police officers. You see uh, politicians even. You see women and men all together. And they're all bringing their experiences. They're all bringing their passion. They're all bringing their intentionality. Why? Because they care about what God is doing. And they want to be a part of it. And yes, it's hard work, but it's going to glorify God and benefit the entire community. So they all jump in. And that's exactly the kind of posture we need to have as we think about what God is doing in New Hope Church and in our neighborhoods and here in New Hope and Plymouth and Robbinsdale and Crystal and all around the world. We need to have a mindset that says, it's time to move. We need to jump in. It's hard work. But let's bring everything we got to bear. Let's, as we've been saying, give all. Give all. Now, by the way, an important word. And this is one of those uncomfortable pieces here. Look with me, if you will, in this next item. Uh, I want you to see this here. When attending to the mission the Lord has for you, however it may look, you will have to contend with naysayers and do-nothings. Any of you have people like that in your lives? You don't need to raise your hand. They might be sitting next to you. One of the themes of the book of Nehemiah is all the critics. We will see it over and over again. When you're doing God's work, there will be no end of naysaying and do-nothingers. And in fact, in Nehemiah chapter 2, we see it referenced there toward the end. And you can look at it. Names, names are going to, you'll see some names there, Sanballat and some other. We'll see, these, we'll see these personalities throughout the rest of the book. They are a constant thorn in Nehemiah's side. And they're always saying to Nehemiah, you can't do this. You shouldn't be doing this. This isn't what God wants. Are you sure you have permission? Gaslighting Nehemiah and his people. Well, those are the naysayers. But then when you look in verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 3, and all the people are building the wall, and it says here that the people from the community of Tekoa, praise God for the Tekoaites, they are building this wall. But then it simply says, but their nobles wouldn't lend a hand. There's always going to be those folks too. They want the jollies of what happens. They don't want any responsibility. 
And uh, I, I, I'm reminded of, of uh, we have this Labrador retriever, Dolly. She is amazing. Oh, my goodness. She's so much fun. She's wearing us out. But anyway, she's so much fun. I have a hole in the living room wall I just discovered a couple days ago. My goodness. Anyhow, uh, but before her was our Labrador that we had for about 14 years, Dixie. Now, Dixie was a diva. Dixie was like the nobles of Tacoa. Hey, let's go for a walk. Not me. I don't do that. That's for dogs. <laughs> hey, let's play catch. Why are you throwing that thing? That is so weird. I mean, this is what Dixie's saying to me as I'm trying, right? And this is what the, 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 the nobles of Tacoa were like. I'm not getting my hands dirty. You want me to hand you another brick? Forget that. And there's always going to be those people too. All right, they're just do-nothings. Now, I want you to hear me, church. Whoever they are in your life, take the high road, rise above it, don't get pulled into their silly web, and you press on in the name of Jesus. Do you hear me? You just take the high road, you just leave them to God, and you press on, press on, press on. Because I guarantee you, here's the rub. They ain't going away. So don't get waylaid by them. Just keep pressing on for the glory of Christ and with a whole lot of goodwill, all right? Now, you know what? Friends, hear me. We got a work to do. We got a whole community out here desperately needing the hope of the gospel of Jesus. We need to be a people of courage, on our knees, taking hold of God's wisdom. A people united together, growing together, reaching out, giving all. We're all in. It won't be the first time people have done this. We see it in history. We see how God met them and helped them. And he will do that for New Hope Church. He will do that for you. He will do that for us. We must rise to this, folks. We have to because the gospel matters and these people need help and they need hope and the only answer ultimately is Jesus Christ, the risen King. Do you believe that? Listen to me. You have a realm. You have a place. And it is time to stand up and engage it. I want you to notice this last couple things here with me. All right, I want you to pay attention to this. We need to be rooted in God's truth. We need to be genuine in faith. We need to be manifesting goodwill. We need to be embodying the best story, Jesus's story. And so as we do, may it be, that we would be just like the people there in Jerusalem when Nehemiah brings that great word forward to them and brings that invitation to them. According to chapter 2, verse 18, in fact, would you just all stand with me right now as you can hear it? Nehemiah tells them, here's where we got to go, here's what we got to do. 
And here's their response. They said, let us rise up and build. Can we just say that with the, gee, it's sunny and we're outside voice right now. Here we go. And they said, let us rise up and build. All right, let's do it, church.